Hello and welcome to the Road to the Trials podcast where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best runners and today we are talking to Carmen Graves. Carmen, thank you so much for joining us for season three. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. And I should say you were almost, I shouldn't say almost because it, it, the invite <laughs> never happened, but you were like the next person on the list to be invited for season two because you are, and we'll talk about this, your background as a track star. And, you know, that was something that we're like, hey, season two, we're focusing on the tractor. I was like, oh, I got to get Carmen Graves on here. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, my goodness, I asked too many people. So I couldn't ask you for that. I'm so glad that you came here for season three. I got to be honest, but like, back in season two, I never thought that this was going to be an <laughs> opportunity because your background lends itself to more track stuff, middle distance, 5K type range. And all of a sudden here you are looking at the 2024 trials and the potential for that. So all of this is extremely exciting. I guess the first question is going to be a little back in time here. Back in February 2020, the marathon trials in Atlanta, what mm -hmm. were you up to and how did you view those trials? Um, yeah, so um, I was watching them on television. I was at Shoes and Brews, like a local brewery in Longmont, and I was just watching the trials. I was cheering for some of my friends um, and definitely was not something that I thought I would try to pursue at that time. Um, it was so interesting because like, I was so annoyed because they, the trials get interrupted by, by Donald Trump and <laughs> his announcement. And we were like, put the trials on, put the trials on. And then God, we got to see right. the last I totally forgot about that. that. Yeah. I was so annoyed. I was like, what is, he's just trying to steal the attention. But yeah, I was watching it. Um, I was just hanging out. Um, you know, just glad that it wasn't me running a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is right. I remember being there because we, we were all thought like, how long is this interruption going to last? Yeah, for? Like, a totally. commercial is annoying, but you're mm -hmm. like, it's a commercial. Like, I know there's an end point in 30 seconds or a minute. Right. We're going to get back to the running. You know, they got to pay the bill somehow, whatever. I'll just deal with it. And then when you see like that, you're like, uh oh, like, this could be 40 minutes. I have no idea what's yeah. going to happen here. Exactly, exactly. Right, like you flash back and they're like, hooray, here are the winners. You're like, oh my God, what just, yeah. what just occurred? Um, that's great. All right, so you, let's highlight the last point that you mentioned. The whole like, I'm not envious of any of these people running. Oh, no. Was that because of the distance, the terrain, the crazy weather day, or just the oh, totality of the whole endeavor? It's all of it, right? Like the totality of all of that, but also just the fact that people were running 26.2 miles like that's a long distance you know um and it was super hot um i was keeping track of some of my friends and they were dropping off like flies and i was just happy to be in a comfortable brewery drinking my beer watching <laughs> that's funny actually i think i think your mind's playing tricks on you that was actually a cold day was it it was, yeah, because we think Atlanta, we think hot. It yeah. was like, it was incredibly windy and cold. But you're right, the weather definitely pushed people out. Yeah. But it was so a I nasty just remember day. people dropping like flies. Like, yeah, because it was I don't hilly, know if it was the hills was like, or the, the criterium type of style racing. But I just remember being like, oh, there's another one. <laughs> right. Yeah, because I remember it was, it was surprisingly cold. I think the whole idea was like, here we have in Atlanta, it would be nice and warm. But then it was like, it was so, it was like the wind chill effect of like, oh my God, like it's freezing and everyone had so their kit crazy. ready, you know, like you're, you're a tracksmith athlete. I felt like 75% of the people there had like the tracksmith gear on oh, yeah. and it was like, uh oh, 
It's like 38 degrees and windy. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the trouble with some of those kits, right? Because they're all like crop tops and undies and you're like, okay, well, sometimes I actually run outside and <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the I'm on the road and it's cold, you know, in the fall it's hard. Um you know, I'm not a big arm sleeve type gal, so um I just I just bear it. I just go for it. Right, right. It's, it's hard to hammer in the no days off collection. It's nice yeah. to stay warm, <laughs> but it's hard to hammer. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't think anybody's tried. Maybe I'll try that. Yeah. There you go. All right. So let's go back into your running journey a little bit, because I think this is a fascinating thing. And just your story in general, I think, is, is a unique one, one that I'm really excited to feature here, because the whole the whole tale of it, I think, is you put you in a unique place um, within this journey compared to a lot of your peers. And just take me back to, you know, high school days, you know, teenager days, your, um, you know, your forays in sport and the things that really attracted you to, to certain athletics. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, I've always just really been into just, you know, pushing my body since a really young age. Um, I always played in the Creek with my friends. We would ride bikes. Um, my parents got me into sports at a really young age. Um, just, you know, the, the community types of, um, sports, I played soccer and that was kind of my, something that I was really good at naturally. Um, I was fast. I had a lot of endurance. Um, I started getting really good ball skills. Um, but yeah, soccer was something that I started off, um, doing at a very young age and took it all the way to college. Um, but through soccer, you know, um, it's a very, it's a very run dense sport. Like you run a lot around the soccer field. I think you run like four to five miles if you are, you know, a middle distance or a mid um, D player uh, or just like in the middle, just moving back and forth between offense and defense. Um, so you run a lot. I think that's kind of what introduced me to running. Um, my soccer coach would always be like, oh my gosh, you're so fast. Um, so I kind of got some confidence from that, um, did some track in, um, a little bit of track in middle school. Um, but I had horrible, horrible anxiety. It's like going from a team sport to um, an individual sport, totally like freaked me out. So I was really good in middle school. I did um, the 400 and the 200, the 400 was my best. Um, I ran, I think I ran like 63 as a middle schooler, um, which is pretty fast. Um, and then I just won me, I think it was like the this districts or regions or something. It was a big meet. Um, made it to the finals and was out in front. That's how I would run. I would just I, I didn't know how to run a four. You just go straight to the front and you go as hard as you can and then you fade and you hope that you cross the line first. That's kind of, that was my strategy. And there was always this one girl that would pass me at the end. And it was like, it was me and her. I was in front and she started passing me and then my legs locked up. My dad has this on camera and it's, it's just like, you can just see my body just breaking down and I fell oh, God. <laughs> well i didn't fall all the way but it was just like awkwardly crossing the line about to fall and i got like i think i got like third and i was devastated i cried on the hill it was so dramatic 
Um, but that, like, being in that age, right, where you're going through puberty, you have all those hormones, like, the world revolves around you, I felt like that was the end of my world. So I quit. I quit. And <laughs> I didn't go back until my sophomore year of high school. And that's when I started back up. The coach tried to recruit me, like, year after year. And I was finally like, okay, well, my friends are doing it, so I guess I'll do it. Um, so I did soccer and track um, from there on out and um, started running the two and the four. Allison Felix was my my idol. I just wanted to be everyone's like her. idol. Oh, oh my yeah. God. Every <laughs> totally oh identified with her. I thought I was going to be running like 49s <laughs> by college, like, you know. <laughs> but it's so interesting because I really wasn't that good at the two and four. Um, I naturally, I should have been running the 800 and my coach like wanted me to try the eight in high school. And I was like, oh, hell no. And um, there was one practice where he was like, okay, like you can't, you, like I was trying to get out of like the last rep or something. And I was like, oh, I'm so tired. Like I, I'll run the eight at the next meet if you get me out of this, if I don't have to run this next rep. <laughs> And then so we uh, made an agreement, and then I think somehow the meet got canceled or something. So I never had to run an 800. Um, so I didn't actually run the 800 bump up until my sophomore year of college. Um, still ran the two and the four, um, kind of the same thing where I, I got recruited for soccer, and the track coach was like, oh, your times are good. You know, it's D3. I can just pop in there. Um, and so, yeah, I, I tried the 800 for the first time. I actually wanted to run the eight because there were so many fast girls in the four. I'm like, this is not my jam. I need something else. Um, so tried the eight, started off at like 222 or something, and then ended up by the end of my um, junior year being um, running 207. So definitely was a natural um transition for me I that's when I realized I was better at the longer things yeah so as you were progressing in the 800 how did that affect your uh your view of of soccer um that's a good question um soccer was always like my my main sport right so track was just to get in shape for soccer and I had success in it but it was still I think it changed when I went to nationals my sophomore year in track and I'm like okay this could be I could be good at this this is something I'm almost better at than soccer I felt like um so that's kind of when it shifted my junior year I was more focused on track and then soccer was kind of like the oh I get to hang out with my buddies it's fun I'm good at it but it wasn't like the main focus and did they work seamlessly together or if you or did you have to kind of focus on one or the other? So um, it was fall soccer season, and then I would go from fall soccer to indoor and then outdoor track. So I didn't do cross country. Um, I stayed in shape enough when I was playing soccer. So it was just all of those all those seasons. So fall soccer, indoor track, and then outdoor in the spring. Gotcha. So in the summer. Were you more thinking like, okay, I need to get in shape for in shape for soccer, or were you thinking like, all right, like I'm more thinking about. I guess I'm saying this. I'm saying this, you know, 
junior and senior year summers in terms of like your thoughts on like, all right, how am I getting ready for sport? How am mm-hmm. I like trying to make the best of it? Or is it just like, no, I'm going to get a job and I'll run when I can run and, and I'll just kind of figure it out. It's not like I'm on scholarship anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I think I just like to work out and run and do all that stuff. But like during the summer, it would be, uh, I'd take a break. And then I, after like nationals or however far I got with outdoor track, I'd take a break and then I would just get ready for soccer. I would do soccer drills. I would do like, um, I guess they call them suicide sprints, but that doesn't seem appropriate to say. Uh, <laughs> just like, you know, like soccer drills. I would be on the turf all the time. Um, I think I might have run like two or three miles outside of like doing drills. I would do a lot of like <laughs> just running up and down the stadium. It's <laughs> like stuff like that just to stay in shape. Um, I, yeah, I was just like being in the gym and, Mostly just focus on soccer, but yeah, do right. stuff like that. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Now, again, we're not going to like linger too much on your your college experience. We should say you were on the Glory Days podcast, which focuses mm-hmm. on D3 athletes, and they get a full deep dive into your college experience over there. Um, I was a former D3 athlete as well, so I kind of like to dive into some of this stuff. Um, so how would you compare just like the, not burnout, but just like the – uh, accumulated stress and things like that. As you compare like your your college athletic experience of soccer to then indoor and then outdoor yeah. versus people who were just running focused, like they go cross country, indoor mm-hmm. and outdoor. Was it similar? Was it heightened for you? Was it heightened for them? What was that experience like? Uh, you know, like it just was natural for me because throughout my whole childhood, I would be doing the same thing. So I would be doing soccer. I'd be um, doing indoor. I would be doing two practices at once. I'd be doing volleyball. Um, so for me, it was like some days I would have two practices. My dad would just take me to two different practices um, and I would just do it. It wasn't like I didn't think about it or I'd be um, in two seasons at once, like playing volleyball and then also um, doing um you know, club soccer and I would have games on the weekends and volleyball games during the week. And so for me, um, there's an extra stress involved with, um, doing two different things. It was almost like comforting to know that I didn't have really an off season. (laughs) I don't know how to explain it, but like, I don't think I would do well with a really long off season. I would just turn into a slob where I would I, I just wouldn't know what to do. Did you ever have an off-season in college, whether it was injury or by choice? Oh, yeah. So I had – well, I wouldn't call it an off-season because um, I didn't redshirt or anything. Like, um, I had a meniscus tear. Um, I did that during the summer when we were playing, like, preseason games. And so I was out for – I had surgery right away, and then I was out for, like, a couple months. And then I ended up playing. I shouldn't have played. I was limping around, but I was still <laughs> doing my thing. Um, and like after the games, my knee would be huge and swollen, but I'd be like, I just want to play. Um, so I did, I wouldn't say that was an off season. It doesn't sound so, like yeah, much of an off season. Like... <laughs> it sounds more stressful than any other season. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not, it wasn't healthy. No, I, I totally agree with that. All right. So here you are, <laughs> someone who's like been playing sports their whole life. Even in college, every single season of college, you are ingrained in the, the, the sporting world, which 
Most people can't say. Even college athletes can't say that, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of like every season of every uh, of every year up till you're you know 22, 23 years old. So you're leaving college. What was your take on what you're going to do after that? Just from an athletic perspective, was it obvious that you'd still be running, or what? Walk me through that decision making process. Yeah, I think that that was probably the hardest part. You know, any transition in life is super hard, but like especially after college. Um, I was distracted by all the sports, so I didn't really like go to my advisor and like kind of figure out what I was going to do after. Um, I just like totally just focused on whatever I was doing. I'm not like I wasn't very future oriented. Right. So um, that last season of the last season of track, I was like, it wasn't a good season. I think it was just because I was stressed about like what I was going to do, like graduating and then um, what life looked like after um, college and I didn't even know that like it was a thing to run after college competitively (laughs) like so I just kind of got a job um, as like a mental health counselor and um, it was it was a good job it paid plenty um, and just started just, you know, running on my own because it's just a part of my life and um, ended up running a 5K. And I ran like 1830. It's like my first 5K ever just on the road. Um, and uh, my college coaches were there. Um, they were like, that's great. You should train for 5K. So I um, basically connected with my college coach. Um, and then we would go on runs. He would um, just give me some 5K workouts, which, which was just totally like so strange from what I was doing and just kind of stayed into it. It gave me like a little bit of hope. Ended up running like, <laughs> like I think within that first year, it started from like an 1830 and then ended up running on the track that um that April or March at Rally Relays and ended up running like 16.08. So like, it was a big jump, right? (laughs) So I was like, okay, well, I didn't know this was a thing. Um, I guess I should keep doing this. Um, Ended up quitting my job. (laughs) And then um, joined the um, Brooks ID program, which is like, you know, just clothes and um, shoes. That, All right, let's let's, let's uh, let, let me just stop you right there because <laughs> this is. I feel like I could just let you go. You'll do forty five minutes, and it'll be fantastic. But I do yeah. have to jump in a quick follow up questions. First of all, I never asked you. I know where you went to college, but I never explained to the the, the listeners where where did you go to college? Uh, Roanoke College. That's in uh, Virginia, Salem, Virginia. Okay, so after you graduated from college, I'm assuming you lived in that area since you said like your college coach was still helping you out. Yeah, so I lived in the area, I got a job, and um, yeah, just kind of hung out there. Uh, I was living with my parents, just, you know, doing my thing. There you go. All right, so tell me about this, <laughs> quitting the job and doing the Brooks ID program. Walk me through that, because that's, that's a big change, not just from a financial perspective, but just shift in focus, right? Yeah, so um, that was that was hard for me to do, uh, right? Because, you know, the, the social pressures of, getting a job and um, like it's there's no handbook to pursuing professional running right Um, especially if you aren't the best already Um, 
Well, you, you start you started writing the first chapter of that handbook a couple weeks ago. We'll touch on that a little bit later. Um, but you, you wrote very eloquently on a topic that affects a lot of people. But we'll touch on that at the end. But yeah, you're yeah. right. You're absolutely right. There's, it There's certainly is a kind of a, yeah. a black box. Yeah. So, you know, like the best advice I got was, you know, you should just, you know, work part time at a running store and just train as much as possible. So um, I started working at a running store. <laughs> and I actually worked part-time at a running store, um, runabout sports, uh, great store. And then I worked part-time at a gym <laughs> and I was just like at the child care center. <laughs> so <laughs> I would get free um, gym membership. So I was doing that. I was just like a, a couple hours a week. Um, so I just, you know, hang out with all the babies and um, then after just do my workout. Um, so yeah, I did that. I quit my job. So uh, the biggest thing is like, I didn't like my job. <laughs> so it was, it was hard because I felt like the pressure of doing that, but I had a conversation with my parents just bald, like, I don't know what to do. I hate my job. They were just like, quit, <laughs> just try this running thing. They're super supportive. They've always been super supportive. They're the types of parents that come to like every meet, every soccer game. So when I heard that, I was like, got permission, let's go. And then um, just, you know, work part-time um, and just started training and just wanted to see how, which direction I would go in. So you mentioned right at the end of your college career, like you didn't even think about like, hey, post-college running. What was your initiation into that world just in terms of like understanding what it was all about what the times meant where you kind of fit into this whole deal like obviously like you knew Valis and Felix like you were you weren't like completely unaware of like you know post-college running but what mm -hmm. was your understanding and how did it grow in that year or two after college yeah that's that's so funny because I haven't reflected on that in a long time I was just so ignorant um about everything about workouts about mileage about different clubs about people that were were good right like so i was very ignorant in this like distance world of like i didn't know any names so i could be lining up with an olympian and i would have no idea and i think that's what made me really uh, it was almost like it actually helped me in the long run that first year of just being ignorant um and just like lining up and just like going for it um, without this idea of like, oh, this person ran this and this person ran this. And um, so just going out with people and just running my hardest and P like getting a PR like every time because it was new. That first year, first year and a half were so special. Um, but then afterwards, that's when it like I started knowing people's names. Um, I started going to champs and um, kind of uh, got in my head a little bit, like, do I belong here? Um, but at first I was like, oh yeah, why wouldn't I belong? I'm running with these girls and I'm fine. I might be getting last, but oh, I'm here and it's exciting and fun. I PR'd and then, you know, after that like big, huge high, it just like kind of came down to this like slow, steady of like, should I be doing this? I'm not getting PRs anymore. These girls are way better than me. They're like they have sponsorships and it's just kind of like more like rethinking if this was the right choice. 
That's interesting too, right? Because the self-doubt comes in as like you're at your fastest, right? Like the self-doubt wasn't there when you were slower. Oh, like, no. you were, I mean, obviously you were never slow, but like dropping yeah. almost two and a half minutes off a of 5K time yeah, is exactly, like insane. Right? I mean, dropping two and a half minutes on a marathon time is, is a big cut, never mind a 5K time. Yeah. So, so once you, you, you start seeing, all right, where do, I, where do I fit in this world? Am I on the in? Am I on the out? And then also with the sponsorship part plays into it. What was that like just in terms of figuring out, all right, I want to do this. But the logistics of making this a profession is incredibly challenging, even for the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Never mind people who are trying to shoehorn their way into it. Um, so, so talk to me about just the challenges therein, especially coming from a situation where, like, you had a stable job and could easily, I guess, I'm assuming, like, when times were tough, be like, "What am I doing here? <laughs> Why am I hustling so hard, Absolutely. taking care of people's kids when I could just like have a well-paying <laughs> job like tomorrow?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's, I don't know, like, I, I feel like I just really believed in myself. Um, I felt like I had a lot of potential. Yes, it could be easier. Um, There's always an easier route, but I, I felt invested in myself and I felt like there's something special. Um, Definitely a lot of ups and downs. with my identity in the running world. Um, but even when I would have a bad day and want to quit, I always found myself coming back. Now, did you find um, any social connection there in terms of like either teammates or people on the circuit or were you kind of in a situation where you felt alone in this endeavor? Yeah, so when I was training in Virginia, the, the first couple years after um, graduating, I was definitely a lone wolf. Um, trained by myself we trained with my college coach but like that's kind of like how I was in college too where I would um I would just train by myself because there wasn't anybody as fast as me um I would train with like one other guy but that's about it so I'd always just like it felt comfortable to just train alone um I did kind of look at some clubs um, I guess that was like the next step, right? Like this is the next step of, oh, you, you want to be a professional. Um, you're running decent times. You should join a club. So I looked at um, the Greenville Track Club in South Carolina. I, look at, I looked at Zap Fitness. I did some um, recruiting visits there. Um, so it was very interesting. Um, uh, I got turned down by Zap. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> So that was that was interesting, but I think it was for the best. Like I don't want to be living in the woods, um, mowing grass and um, being isolated out there. I, I'm sure it's a certain type of person that yeah. can do that. You know, I I like being out and about and being social. So um, didn't I think they knew that it wasn't a good fit, even though I wanted to force it. They have a very interesting <laughs> setup. That yeah. is for, that is it was for sure. A visit for sure. Very nice. Nice yeah, people. Yeah, for and sure. I actually know some coaches, people who did but... like their who do like their camp, like their one week yeah, camp. Yeah. I think that's probably more of my speed as well in terms of the full time living situation. Um, <laughs> not that they were ever going to ask me to do it, but yeah. um, so talk to me a little bit about you know you've you, even to this day you still run a variety of events and you, obviously you're a very versatile athlete. It does seem that you did hone in on the steeplechase as uh-huh. a primary. Um, event for you in track so talk to me about how that happened and and, and the evolution of that 
yeah, so um, I'm always making deals with my coaches, right? Um, in high school, I made a deal with my coach that I would run the 800 if I didn't have to do this last um, rep in the in the workout. So um, in college, I made a deal with my coach that um, I I wanted to run the steeplechase at my home meet because I thought it was, I was just blown away by, I was so confused about what it was, right? Who are these people wearing floppy shorts, jumping in water? Like, I was just so confused about this like distance world. It just seemed like a circus and I wanted to, for the home meet, I just wanted to like, all my soccer friends were coming out and I just wanted to do something funny. So I was like, okay, like, can I please do this steeplechase, like, for the homie? And he was like, oh, no, you're going to hurt yourself. This was, like, a month before nationals. He's like, no, absolutely not. I was like, well, how about you just show me how to jump off? And if I can do it, then I can do the steeplechase. And, you know, I did triple jump, so it was easy. I jumped jumped off the barrier, like, the first couple times. And he was like, okay, like, you can do it. And so I, I was like, well, I'm going to need the distance outfit. So he gave me this like old school, like singlet and like, the, I called them floppy shorts at the time, but they're just split shorts. Um, so he gave me the whole, the whole outfit. I um, did the steeplechase, won by a lot. My soccer friends were cheering for me on the gate and they were probably drunk at the time. And it was just so funny. Um, and then the next day we went on a run. And he was like, just, he's like, I didn't get a chance to tell you, but you were so good at the steeple. Like, this could be your event. I'm so, like, upset that this is your, like, senior year. I'm like, oh, no, no, 800 all the way. And so it was kind of um, a natural transition um, that since he was coaching me after college that he might have snuck that in there he's like you should you should try the steeplechase so we tried it at a meet i ran well i don't know what i ran but and then it kind of just took on its own life <laughs> yeah and it's funny because not funny that's definitely not the right word but it, it does seem that a lot of people who do extremely well in the steeplechase come from either multi-sport backgrounds or mm -hmm. backgrounds that lend themselves to being athletic in a variety of different ways. And certainly that, you know, meshes with your story as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, I went to States in the triple jump my in um, high school. I did triple jump. I think I was like, I don't even know. I have like the record for the triple jump in college, just being an athlete. Um, like I scored most of my like goals I scored in college were headers just because I could jump. <laughs> um, and so like, it was a natural movement for me to come off the barrier. And it was easy for me to jump over things, um, especially doing the triple jump all through college and having that like jumping and then I just needed a little bit of endurance. Um, so yeah, it was it was a very easy transition for me. And then not only that, but then all of a sudden you start qualifying for Olympic trials in the steeplechase. So talk to me about what that was like in terms of, you know, here we are, we're talking about trying to qualify for the marathon Olympic trials. So just in terms of that journey and what qualifying for the trials meant to you. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because I just like that first couple of years, I, I didn't really look at the, the times, right? Like the standards, I just went out and raced 
Um, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I made it. Like I qualified. Um, so that was, that was really nice. So I, it wasn't like my intention to go to the outdoor champs. Um, I think it was in Sacramento that year in 2014, 15, um, my first outdoor experience. Um, but it just kind of happened. I ran, I got to the finals. Um, it wasn't as competitive back then. It's super competitive now. A lot of women are definitely going towards the steeple now. Um, the time standard was maybe like, I don't know, 10.08 or something. I'm just making this up, but it was over 10, 10 minutes. Now it's like 9.46 or 9.45. Um, so yeah, or 9.40, I don't even know. 940 it's it's fast so it's definitely been a transition but like it was really cool experience just like kind of feeling like I was winging it and then it like just naturally happened that I made the the champs and hit the standard and then what was it like you know several years later when you're still doing this sort of thing and you're looking at like, you know, the track trials for 2021 and things like that, did it evolve in terms of your, you know, your focus on these times or did maybe running take a little bit different position in your life as you're getting older and you're not such a, a novice to this entire experience anymore? Yeah. I mean, I think just skipping over a ton of years of, you know, those ups and downs, I'm sure we'll get into those, you know, in other other meetings, but um, I think the main thing is just like, I don't know, um, the, it definitely shifted, my, my mindset shifted, and that's just because, you know, every year it's getting faster. I think last year I ran like 946, I'm like, or two years ago I ran 946, I'm like, that should get me in. Guess what? The standard was 945. So it's like little things like that. It's like every year it's just like, oh, should I like, I feel like I've made it. I've PR'd. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you don't really belong here. Like the standard's actually this. So it's like, it feels definitely I've wanted to quit a bunch of times. And especially seeing that standard, I'm just like, I don't even want to do this people. You know, like, I think I was talking to my friends during a run. I'm like, I don't even fucking want to do it. Sorry about the language, but I don't want to do it. Like, this is stupid. Like I shouldn't, um, you know, my worth shouldn't be determined by a time. And that's kind of when I shifted. I'm like, I'm just going to run kind of like I did before. I'm going to try to do my best. And if, if it's, if I hit the standard, great. If I don't, then I don't care. It's, no one's going to tell me my worth as a runner by a number. Yeah, and th th this next question doesn't matter per se, but I am curious as to how you think of yourself within the profession. Obviously, you are an elite runner. That mm -hmm. is inarguable. But whether you're like a pro runner, a semi-pro runner, yeah. an amateur runner, a phrase that I've never heard of before, how do you categorize your spot just in terms of the profession? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, right? So it's, it's simple to um, categorize um, professionals in other sports um, because, you know, they make a lot of money. There's leagues out there that they can get recruited for. Or um, uh, so it's it's interesting um, for runners. It's a, a vague. It's mostly like what you identify as, if that makes <laughs> sense. It's so ridiculous. But um, in my in my mind, 
you're a professional if you can it's not really about times for me i run with professionals i'm an elite runner it's more about if you can live off the money that you're getting if you're a professional runner can you only do running and you're living off that if you're semi-professional yeah you get money you might get a stipend you might win some races you might get prize money here and there appearance fees whatever but can you live off that if you can't if you have to work other jobs then i don't think that you're a professional so for me i would say i'm a semi-professional because i do make a little bit of money <laughs> so <laughs> i i feel like i'm elite runner i can hang with professionals um and i am also embrace the amateur spirit, of course, um, you know, uh, which is just like, like, you know, having other things outside of running, I think is, is important. And I really like how you phrase that too. Like, could you live off of the stuff, off, off the money you're making as a runner, right? Mm -hmm. Not like that you have to, right? There's some people who certainly make enough to live off of running who choose mm -hmm. to continue to work. Exactly. Right? So they have kind of have two, almost like they have two full time incomes, right? Exactly. And that's just a choice that they make and that works for them. But if they wanted to, they could live off the running aspect mm -hmm. and that would make them a professional runner, which I think is yeah, very well said. So <laughs> thank you for extrapolating that. And I guess it's no real, um, real surprise considering what you wrote recently. Would you mind just giving people, I um, will link to the, um, the piece in the show notes, but tell people about what the, the recent piece that you wrote that gained a lot of traction in the running community. Yeah, I just, you know, I have these thoughts during runs and I feel like just through my experience over the years, um, going through the ups and downs, um, not having a sponsorship and having a lot of conversations with runners who do have sponsorships and who don't and are still running at the elite level, just their frustrations with the sport as a whole, um, the inability to um, make it a professional outlet for athletes. Um, so I wrote a piece, I called it the starving runner. Um, it's mostly just thinking about like how there are, you know, we all know the term starving artist. Um, it's those artists that, you know, sacrifice their material well-being for their art, um, to make art. Um, and there's definitely just a subculture of runners out there who sacrifice their material well-being, like I was discussing earlier, you know, I quit my job just to pursue this um, for their training and to try to get to the next level. Um, definitely a struggle. Um, and even when you are at the professional level, are you actually getting what you deserve? Are you getting the health insurance? Are you able to make a living and live off of the money that you make from track and field. And it's just kind of um, just a call out to USATF. I think USATF is a great organization. They put on great meets, um, but it's they're not really doing what they can, in my opinion, to support um, professional athletes. And they're not doing what they can to grow the sport. Yes, the times are getting faster and we're meeting those times, but how can you grow the sport? How can you get people in the stands how can you get money in the pockets? I think it's it's beautiful that 
in a weird way. I think it's beautiful that, you know, Max Siegel is making millions of dollars. I think that's Would you say he's the, he's the CEO of USATF? Of he's CEO of, C- yes, exactly. He's making millions of dollars while, you know, track athletes who are coming to his events. And this is the main event, right? They are the performers in these events. They are barely making, you know, minimum wage. Um, there are those very few special athletes that are able to make a living. But, you know, I feel like for football, for baseball, for soccer even, you sit on the bench and you still make millions. And I think that we just need to grow the sport as a whole. Um, what I was saying with Max Siegel is, I, make your millions but let's find ways for other people's <laughs> to make millions right let's let's grow the sport um and it might mean that you don't make three point whatever million dollars and you might try to grow the sport it's a nonprofit, so i think i think in general it's just like making a little bit more effort to let's develop the sport let's put on meets let's um, advertise let's market these athletes um, let's get sponsorships besides nike and let's just let's let's make it popular <laughs> like i mean honestly at track and field is like the biggest sport in high school like everybody is on a track and field team like it should be it should be um bigger um than it is no, and you wrote an incredibly good piece on this, and I and I loved it. And the three point eight million dollars that the guy makes, as someone who's worked at, worked at nonprofits for fifteen years, I'm like, oh my god, that is hard to stomach. Um, yeah, for sure. Like, I remember being like, I remember working at Brown University, and then mm-hmm. being like, wow, the, look at how much the 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 um, the president of Brown University makes. And you're like, that's an incredibly difficult job, and it's like, you know, it also like they're doing amazing things and they're fundraising billions of dollars. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying they should, but like you can make a rational argument. I remember reading that piece and, and seeing the 990 of the USATF even before I read your piece and being like, I'm having a hard time rationalizing this. Even if I like gave him the benefit of the doubt, like yeah. I can't even come up with a devil's advocate argument on this one. I, yeah, it was hard for me. So I, I did the same thing. So when I, when I saw just like my, my husband is always, he always has the information. I don't even have to research things. He just tells me about the track stuff, track world. So he was telling me about this and, yeah, it was hard to stomach. It didn't make sense. So naturally, I'm like, what? I just kind of like got into the nitty gritties. And I was not expecting to get so deep into it. But I did a lot of research, pulled up tax information. I was just trying to figure out what is going on. Um, kind of started getting into like, why isn't there? Why aren't they giving, you know, why isn't there a program to give money to the athletes, support the athletes? And I found a program that they were working on. And then I was like, why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? So it's just like kind of a deep dive into what they're, what USATF is doing to support athletes and what they probably need to do better. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. So where are you living now? I'm in um, Littleton, Colorado. There you go. <laughs> All right. So the reason I ask is to set the stage for the next question, which okay. is you live in a spot where you're able to see runners of all stripes, people who run all variety of different distances, different disciplines. You see trail runners out there. Mm-hmm. You obviously are well ingrained in the track world and, and literally everything in between. So while we know that um, 
your stance on the USATF and like things that they can be doing better. And also, as mm-hmm. you said before, like this not like an entirely bad organization all the way around, but there's yeah. there's things that they're missing, things that they mm-hmm. can improve upon. In the running world, especially when it comes to the topics of growing the sport, bringing more money into the sport, advertising the sport, getting more uh, more eyeballs on it, what are the things that you've seen that have been um, positive? So say, hey, look at what this organization is doing or this you know, maybe a sponsor, but maybe like different organizations or this, you know, whether it's trail running or this specific race or has there been positives that you've seen in the sporting world? Where you're like, hey, this is a great example of what's possible or maybe we can build on what these other people are doing. Yeah, I think um, there's a few things, right? So local races, I think, in the area that help provide prize money and help anything to help like giving um comped entry fees and stuff like that. I think that's always nice. Um, outside of like the local area, um, TFL, Track and Field League, they um, try to start a Track and Field League, um, try to raise money um, and um, recruited a bunch of, um, drafted a bunch of athletes and they were trying to make it so that athletes can make a living, have a whole season of, um, different events throughout the country. They had eight different um, teams. And um, so there's like one in Virginia, for example, um, Virginia Inspiration. Um, and there's like a long list. So there was eight teams throughout the, the US. Um, and it was every, everything was set. Um, I was drafted and I thought this was a great idea, even if it wasn't a big, huge, um, big, huge thing the first year I thought it had potential. So I, I wanted to, um, you know, join in. Um, and then they just didn't have enough money to make it happen. Um, sponsorships fell through and it, it just didn't happen. So, um, they talked to, um, our good friend, uh, Matt Siegel, CEO of USATF and was hoping to get some support from him. Um, and that kind of didn't go, uh, well, <laughs> he basically said no. <laughs> so, I mean, there's definitely an effort, right? There's efforts everywhere. We just need, we need the money. <laughs> right, that's, right. And that's it's, like it, yeah. it's also like a catch-22, right? Because you have like, oh, we need the money, but then you need the exposure. But in order to get the exposure, you need the money. And it's interesting because some of the things that happened during covid specifically like we saw this a lot in ultra in terms of mm-hmm. you know especially like the youtube coverage um that era vipa is doing in other places to kind of to boost up ultra and trail running and then um i talked to, a lot about this with danny moreno like what they do with golden trail world series mm-hmm. uh, spe- you know, especially over in europe but then see like trials of miles in yes. the u.s who seems to be again i don't know how profitable it is so i'm not going to say like this business um, ventures like yeah. doing un- unbelievable things, but it seems like they're putting in a ton of effort to really um, do creative things in the track and running world. Um, that I guess I can't even come up with like a a comparison. It, it it is pretty unique in this sense in terms of not only what they've done, but the longevity. Right, they've been at it for a couple of years, and it doesn't seem like they're slowing down. Yeah, yeah, I think you brought up a really good point, and it's just like people who stepped up during COVID and Charles Miles is definitely on that list. Um, Dave is great with um, directing meets and he definitely um, put himself out there. 
um, when we needed him most. Um, just getting professional meets out there is huge. Um, it's, I mean, it's hard to to race in college meets, to be honest. Like, definitely some really amazing women to compete against, but it's it's so hard. Like, I there's been a lot of times where I've entered into college meets hoping to like run fast and guess what? I'm not in the top heat because I'm not, they, yeah, they, um, I'm not going to say the names the where I competed at, but it was really frustrating. It was like last year I was ready to run fast and I got shoved to the second heat because they prioritized college women. And it was really frustrating because I, you know, I could have, ran a PR and that shouldn't be an excuse, but just, just things like that. So it's like getting, um, just professional, um, open meets, um, where you can get a pacer, you can get a bunch of fast women or men together. And like the goal is to run fast and, um, to hit standards. And so I think trials and miles is a really great example of that. And it's definitely, um, really helping to develop the sport and grow the sport as a whole and just even just um, being able to broadcast it and get get those names out there and um advertise i think it's it's great all right we're at minute 50 now i guess we have to start talking about the marathon oh, <laughs> at some okay. point even though i want to keep i want to keep talking about this this is like <laughs> my wheelhouse completely i love talking about yeah. this but we do have to talk about this because this is also why we're here so people are probably curious like all right a lot of track talk. This is road at the marathon trials. So when did the thought of qualifying for the Olympic marathon trials germinate? <laughs> well, okay. So I've been training last like year and a half. Um, I've been training with a marathoner, Lanny Marchant. She's a Olympian. Um, she's a Canadian Olympian. And, you know, I've been just kind of um, getting in longer stuff with her. I think um, that's kind of been my focus over the last couple of years is like that's my weakness is like just getting that aerobic um, endurance and um, building a like a strong base um, so I've been able to do well with that I've been able to keep up with her in some runs and I was just like had some really good long runs I was like hmm <laughs> maybe maybe I should um Maybe I should try this whole marathon thing. And I think it really hit me when I um, paced her in the Honolulu marathon last year. So I ran the um, the mile, the Mary Mile, the day before. And then I was like, I need to do a long run. Can I just run with you? And um, so I ran with her the first 14 to 15 miles. It was like around like 550 pace i think 555 pace and it was just so interesting <laughs> it was like nothing that i experienced in my entire life like the whole um the bottles um she had to like make bottles and i thought that was cute and then um just like being able to talk the first like four miles it was just like it didn't feel like it didn't feel like we were racing it just felt like we were just hanging out um, and then it started getting hard and it just like, I was able to pop into the lead vehicle. <laughs> I stayed, I had enough energy that I would, that my, my plan was to sprint up to the lead vehicle <laughs> and to wave them down. And then they just let me in. <laughs> so 
So I got to watch her the whole second half. And I was just hanging out the window and like making sure she was doing okay. And it was just so seeing that whole experience, it was like, this is kind of cool. Um, she like shared, like, just like getting the water bottles. And I was like, this is fun. Like, this is cool. I like this. Um, so that's kind of what like sparked it in like reality. And then just, you know, doing a little bit longer stuff and being like, okay, I think I could do this. So because she's a good friend of yours and someone mm -hmm. you run with all the time, do you feel like you're able to make kind of like apples to apples comparisons in terms of like, okay, she's able to do this. So if I'm able to do this, then I can kind of extrapolate that out. Or do you still feel like you haven't, haven't kind of gained enough traction in the endurance world to kind of make those sorts of comparisons? Yeah, I would say not quite. I think eventually, but like, honestly, it's, it's the weirdest thing. She has old woman strength and that I'll never be able to tap <laughs> wow. into. Shots fired on, oh, the, on the road to the trials no, we, podcast. No, yeah, we, we always shoot shots. Um, but like, it's, it's that like, she's done it for so long where it's like, if, if, for example, like if I were to just like take off and just jump into a mile and she was training for a mile, right? Like I would know the race better. I know what I need to do when I need to go. Um, so we did like a 10K um, in Canada, um, the Vancouver Sun Run last year. And I feel like we were about the same fitness and she just totally crushed me. And she just knew like what to do. She just went out and she just maintained. And I was like, I don't know if this is too fast. I'm going to stay here. It's just like getting that experience. I think that's what I'm lacking is just getting that experience and being like, okay, like I can push now. Oh, I can maintain this. So it's hard for me to be like, oh, I did this workout with her, so I should run this. Right. Because as you know, the workouts are so different than the race. And like you, mm -hmm. like you just mentioned, like you didn't have the experience and just knowing the beats of the song, mm -hmm. is, it mm -hmm. can be, it can be a tricky thing. So all right, you have this. You have this experience in Honolulu. You have this close friend who's doing this thing. It's easy mm -hmm. to be like, "All right, put two and two together. I, we're we're going to try to make this happen." At the same time, you have an interesting strategy for 2023. So tell the folks like how <laughs> your plans or your potential plans are to get to the trials. So I I don't actually want to run a marathon. <laughs> I want to run a half to run a marathon. So I want to qualify. Um, by the half standard, which is 72 minutes. It actually feels like it would be harder to run a half in 72 than an actual full in. You, 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 are, you are previewing my next question, <laughs> for sure. It's definitely a hard route to take, but it's like, I know that if I can run like 72 or under, then I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> All right. so. I think an argument could be made, not okay. for everybody, because every, every person's physiology and experience and background mm -hmm. is different. But I think that and I'm sure there are certain runners out there who would make the argument that for them, running a 72 second half marathon is harder than mm -hmm. breaking 237 mm -hmm. in the marathon. So why do you think for you that would be the, the, better, the better route? Or maybe just the more entertaining route. Maybe this is just based on personal preference. Yeah, it's, it's definitely based on personal preference. But I think that there's just so such a learning curve with the marathon um like when to feel how much to feel um the bonking factor i could be running amazing at 20 miles and then just totally like have to walk 
And I just feel like there's so many things that could go wrong, right? So that's the one thing that kind of turns me off from the marathon is like you see people training like six months or four months or whatever, and then it's just one race and then they get a stomach cramp and that's it. <laughs> it's done. Like that, like what? In like a mile or a 3K, you can have a really bad race. You can even race like later that day. It's not a big deal. But like for a marathon, it's like life altering. Right. Hey, the half, I mean, you can have plenty of bites at the apple, right? You could run a half fully recovered yeah. every month of the year. Yes. Yeah, right. So Maybe you're not going to be in peak fitness, but you mm -hmm. will have recovered from the previous previous exactly. endeavor. Exactly. Exactly. You don't have to take a month off and like lose a leg. So like <laughs> that's kind of what like why I'm kind of drawn to the half. And yeah, I can still maintain my speed with the half. I don't have to like resort to the marathon shuffle quite yet. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like my my thoughts. All right. I love it. Okay. So in the next episode where we can touch on how you just ran a half, we can touch on that experience. Okay. We can touch on the, the races you're planning for and how you see the season going and also how that can be incorporated into your track life, right? Because you're you mm -hmm. still may be looking at 2024 as potentially the marathon and going for the steeple or the 10K or things like mm -hmm. that, right? It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. I know that if you did go that route, you wouldn't be the only one even on the Road to the Trials roster who's thinking along those lines. Awesome. So yeah. with that said, what is your potential calendar looking like from a race perspective? Um, right now, so we'll get into my last my last race at Houston. But since it didn't go as planned, I'm going to be doing the 15K um, March 4th at Gate River. So that's the USATF 15K champs. Honestly, it's just to be like, okay, I have something that I can like, be like, I'm fit. I promise. <laughs> I like making it like known to myself that like I'm in a good place, right? Putting something on my calendar and like finishing off the season on a good note. Um, and then I will be taking a small break and then it's outdoor season. All right. That's exciting. All right. So we'll talk after Gate River, which is really mm -hmm. exciting. Uh, we should say last year, one of the people on this podcast, Nico Montanez, took down the the 15K title, wow. uh, which is really exciting. And obviously always a stacked field. Do you know who else is going to be running in that race? Anyone that you're familiar with? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. Just, <laughs> we'll just going into it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's always interesting, especially this year, because you have that set up where, like, I can see a lot of people going into that race who are also training for Boston. Mm -hmm. Kind yeah, of like true. four year, three years ago, we saw a ton of people who were training for the Atlanta Trials mm -hmm. did the Houston half because it mm -hmm. was five weeks out. And they're like, all right, this is like kind of like the perfect spot on the calendar. I can see a lot of people looking at the 15K kind of a similar way of like, all right, like. I'm fit for this. It also, it's not going to encroach on my Boston Marathon training. In fact, it might be a great stimulus for a Boston Marathon. Mm -hmm. And I'm still have plenty of time to kind of, you know, be ready for race day. So it could be interesting. It could be a fantastic field yeah. on the men's and women's side. Yeah, I'm definitely curious because it's just in between a lot of like seasons, right? You have like indoors and you have uh, cross country and you have all these marathons popping up. But you also had a lot of marathons that just finished. So I'm definitely interested in seeing who's going to pop in. All right. This is exciting. All right. Carmen, thank you so much for joining us for season three and for this fantastic first episode. Thank you for having me.